You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Happy 2024. Yeah, a brand new year and coming up on our first program of the year. Full market coverage ahead. U.S. stocks and bonds, look, they kickstart the day in the red. And we'll look at the movers weighing on the benchmarks as Apple drops amid a Barclays downgrade on calling iPhone demand. Details ahead. Plus, the latest read on the health of the EV market. That's as Tesla falls behind China's DYD in terms of production. That and so much more coming up on the show. But first, let's check in on these markets because, well, we know that we've had the push, the pull of Apple and the Tesla with, of course, some of those sales living up to expectations, but losing when it comes to a key Chinese competitor. But Ed, Nasdaq currently off by one and a quarter percent. Two-year yield sell-off. This is a global bond market sell-off. We've seen it in the UK, over in Europe in particular. And remember, we've got a lot of corporate issuance coming through. So some supply, some supply side issues probably at play here a little bit with the borrowing costs. Bloomberg dollar index, that rises on higher. Have we called it right that we're going to see as many rate cuts in 2024 as the market currently anticipates? The market just recalibrating that this morning. Move on, have a look at what's happening in the world of crypto because as the dollar strengthens it's interesting that bitcoin does too we're up four tenths of percent for bitcoin versus us dollar actually eclipsing that forty-five thousand dollar handle and all important as we watch out for that etf whether the sec approves the spot bitcoin etf yeah and the logic follows understandably that most crypto related stocks in the equities markets are also higher some of the familiar names you see high single digit na- uh, gains in the green one exception to that rule is Coinbase, softer by 4.4%, have been even lower. I guess, look at the performance of that stock in 2023, uh, and then look at the run-up that it had from the end of October through to the year-end. Maybe there is some profit-taking, or you know, RSI, I think, was at 80 going into the pre-market this morning. There's something going on there. We're not entirely sure what it is. The biggest single story and downward pressure on the, the market more broadly is Apple. Barclays downgrading to underweight a new price target, slightly lower, $160 per share. They basically said, we're looking at the volumes and mix for the iPhone 15. We're not convinced. They're also saying that if we get an iPhone 16, we don't see the technological upgrades in that generation to move 
move this stock higher. Remember, Apple had multiple quarters in 2023 where expectations were missed, but the stock continued to run up. That's an interesting equation going into it, and it's the biggest points drag as it stands on both the Nasdaq 100 and the S&P 500 this Tuesday morning. And look, when it's just shy of $2.9 trillion market cap, well, the odd percentage point does have a huge impact on the overall S&P. Let's just talk about all of this. Well, Ayako Yoshioka, portfolio manager over at Wealth Enhancement Group, is so good to kick off 2024 with you, Ayako, and just talk to us a little bit about some of the impact of these Magnificent Seven. The impact that Apple had had is 50% run-up in 2023, and then on the day, of course, people starting to think that they can really continue to outperform. That seems to be questioned. Hi, Caroline. Happy New Year to you. Um, yes, you know, with Apple, it's probably our least favorite among the Magnificent Seven. Uh, you know, tech overall was up 56 percent as you know, as a sector within the S&P 500 in 2023. So starting off 2024 with a little bit of a breather, um, not a, a, a big surprise here. And then with Apple, you know, as Barclays mentioned in their downgrade, you know, the slowing of their overall hardware sales. Um, is going to be a problem. And, you know, the one thing that keeps the stock up was all the buybacks. But, you know, when the multiple is closer to 30 times, uh, it's just less attractive sort of on a, you know, going forward basis here. How much does the reaction in Apple signify a broader concern that all of the fantastic growth in equities in the tech sector we saw in 2023, it's not going to carry through to 2024? Hi, Ed. Yes, you know, reversals tend to happen in January. You know, we all love to hear about the dogs of the Dow and how they tend to perform better in, uh, in, in January. And so, you know, we do see a little bit of profit taking clearly going on today uh, in many of these magnificent seven names. You know, we like technology from a long term perspective. I think a lot of these names have a lot of growth in them over the long term. However, you know, in the short term, you know, profit taking happens. Uh, it's good to lock in some of those great returns that we saw in 2023 uh, and pay those taxes in 2025. In order to realize some of those returns last year, you needed to buy seven names, the Magnificent Seven. Um, how will that be different in 2024? There were so many unique stories within those seven. You know, NVIDIA was a really clear AI story on the compute side. Can it just continue on or do you have to go very specific? Forget the bundle of seven. The magnificent one is what you've got to go down. Well, NVIDIA was definitely a leader within that magnificent seven, up over 239 percent, I believe, in 2023. Um, you know, will that repeat? N not likely. Um, and we have to remember that in 2022, NVIDIA was down over 50 percent. Uh, and so that, you know, great growth that we saw in 2023 was after a significant decline. Um, you know, longer term, we continue to like NVIDIA and, you know, what they are doing. They continue to grow their total addressable market with, you know, starting with gaming, leading into machine learning, and then going on to the data center um, and AI. And so we continue to like that. We just don't think that it's going to have the type of returns that we uh, experienced in 2023. And diversification really wasn't your friend in 2023. But I think going into 2024, we believe that a broadening of of the overall market is what's going to benefit investors. Ah, so talk about that broadening, Ayako. Do you go broader within the US? Do you go for smaller market capitalizations? Or do you go global? 
You know, I think you go all of it. You know, we saw in at the end of 2023, small caps had a significant comeback uh, in November and December, having, you know, I think December small caps are up over 12%. And so, you know, having that diversification really helps out. And then, you know, I know we talked about the dollar sort of rebounding, at least recently, but, you know, dollar weakness does help out international and emerging market stocks. So we expect some some of that broadening to, to benefit overall investors, especially as interest rates you know, come down, or at least if that's the expectation. So you said how perhaps Apple was you know, the least favored among some of those key names. Which one is your star performer? Which name do you have to hold on to with both hands? You know, we really like Microsoft. I think um, here it's a broad, again, diversified name. They've got so many areas of growth. Uh, they continue to grow within cloud. They do have the partnership uh, with OpenAI um, in regards to artificial intelligence. And so we like all of that. They continue to grow, um, you know, Outlook um, in Microsoft 360. They have Copilot, which launched in November, um, which will introduce more AI. Uh, capabilities across all of the Microsoft uh, platform. And so we continue to like Microsoft over the long term. Ayako Yoshioka of Wealth Enhancement Group, just a terrific way to kick off what I'm sure is going to be a ginormous year for the Magnificent Seven or otherwise. Thank you very much. Turning to the EV or automakers, Tesla topping Q4 delivery estimates, Rivian falling short, beating on production. We'll start with Tesla with our global autos czar or editor Craig Trudell is out of London. So Tesla does 484,507 EVs in the final three months of the year. It beats estimates. It beats the target of 1.8 million vehicles for the year. But the other storyline is that they lose their crown as the world's biggest seller of EVs. Yeah, that's right. And it wasn't particularly close in the fourth quarter. BYD outsold Tesla by about 42,000 EVs. Uh, so th this was a, a trend that we really could see coming just looking at, you know, how BYD was trending, particularly in China. They uh, really dominate uh, that market and have done so in, in sort of dramatic fashion very quickly. Uh, just a few years ago, you know, this was a company that uh, decided to make a, a full transition to only battery electric and plug-in hybrid sales for their lineup and in, in very short order uh, managed to, to pass up uh, Tesla in that market. They're now ahead on a global basis. And this is a company that, you know, you hear Elon Musk talk about vertical integration and sort of con controlling your own destiny, making all of your parts or many of your parts in-house. BYD does that to an even greater extent than Tesla does. They make their own batteries, they make uh, chips. So this is a company that has kind of, you know, out tesla Tesla in, in the last couple of years. And selling at a pace 526,409 fully electric in the last quarter. But there is going to be increasing competition coming on its home turf. BYD is selling cheaper cars. It's making, therefore, less profit than Tesla is. And they're likely to see even more competition coming from China as well. How do you think Tesla will fare in that, Craig? 
it's a massively competitive market, and you're right to call out that the price uh, differences here between Tesla and BYD are hugely different. Uh, the the estimate for the average uh, transaction price uh, for Tesla among analysts uh, surveyed by Bloomberg is you know something on the order of forty five thousand dollars. BYD is roughly half that. So this is a, a very different uh, couple of companies, but we are seeing BYD also move up market, whereas you know Tesla has been moving in the other direction, right? Uh, and, and so, you know, the, the China market is hugely competitive. Um, Musk himself will tell you it's the most competitive in the world. Uh, whether BYD is able to sort of weather that, I think they've you know really made a statement in terms of their ability to, to do so. Uh, but it, it only will get more difficult in the year to come, especially as we see you know some of the cell phone makers in, in China enter the space and do so through contract manufacturing uh, arrangements with with some of the state-owned uh, companies. And that's going to be a, a trend that's really interesting to watch in 2024. Uh, Craig, I was in the hot seat this morning for Rivian, and when I was writing about production and delivery, it was interesting the severity of the share reaction, right? They quite comfortably beat their full year production guidance, but you were drilling down and made a wonderful chart that looks at kind of how sequentially deliveries have started to lag a bit. Yeah, I, I think this is a company that you know was really production constrained. That was their issue for for sort of you know quarter after quarter, which Ed you documented really well. Uh, you know, th- this is a, a company that's managed to sort out some of the kinks in, in production and and overcome some of the growing pains. Uh, the the deliveries, uh, you know, part of the equation. They they still have some work to do, and of course, you know, the the investors are, aren't going to look uh, particularly fondly when you uh, outproduce. You know, relative to deliveries by the amount that that uh, Rivian did in the fourth quarter, there's going to be some concern about whether you're pushing on a string and whether you may need to cut prices, uh, you know, in the future. And so that will be something for us to watch. Also, I'm you know very curious in whether you know the uh, delivery van production, uh, you know, and and the change in Rivian being constrained to only being able to deliver those to Amazon to just, you know, very late in the quarter, uh, sort of being able to sort of get out of that deal and, you know, start delivering delivery vehicles to to other customers. You know, maybe there was a complication with that in the fourth quarter that accounts for this differential. We're going to drill in to demand side equation of all these things so much more. With that, Craig Trudell, always great to have you. Thank you. And later in the show, we are going to do a real deep dive on Tesla in particular. Dan Levy from Barclays is going to be joining us on his latest thought and note. Meanwhile, let's talk about, well, the other Elon Musk company, well, one of, what, six or seven of them. We're going to talk X because Fidelity has just cut the valuation of the stake that it has in the social media company. This is the latest in a series of markdowns by Fidelity. Ever since Musk concluded the acquisition, of the social media platform all the way back in October 2022 feels like a lifetime ago. Someone has been tracking that ever since is Bloomberg's Kurt Wagner. And we got the numbers. Just remind us how much they're cutting and what sort of number we're now looking at for a valuation of Twitter now X. Yeah, I believe the the cut uh, from the end of November, I think it was, was around 11 percent. But in total, more than 70 percent of the value uh, has been cut down since the close of the acquisition. Now, you will remember that was a $44 billion acquisition at the end of 2022. Um, If it's been cut by more than 70 percent, we're now looking at a company that at least Fidelity believes is valued closer to 12 and a half, 13 billion dollars. And so, you know, to put that into a little bit of historical perspective, you may remember, Caroline, back in 
way back in 2016, Twitter almost sold to Disney, almost sold to Salesforce. The company was around the same value way back then in 2016 as it is uh, today at, at, per Fidelity. So, you know, we've just seen a huge erasure of, of value from X since Elon took over. The, the curious thing about this is that Fidelity is one of the investment firms that participated in the take private deal in the first place. Um, behind this, I guess, we don't know, you know uh, the factors behind Fidelity's decision or how they arrived at that valuation, but you've done some reporting on how the financials have changed in the last 12 months. Yeah, we talked about this, Ed, if you'll remember right before the new year, right, we had a, a story come out on Bloomberg uh, that the advertising revenue at X is projected to be, you know, somewhere around $2.5 billion. And, and that may even be on the high side, right, because some of these predictions were made earlier in the quarter before Elon went on stage at DealBook and, and you know, started swearing at, at Twitter's advertising partners. And so, uh, you know, the, the value of, of Twitter's business, has, or excuse me, the size of Twitter's business has just decreased so much, um, even just a few years ago before Elon showed up, you know, they were bringing in more than $5 billion a year. Most of that in advertising revenue. We're now talking, you know, about half of that. Uh, and and a lot of this is, is quite frankly self-inflicted, right? A lot of the, the issues that they've had um, seem to be things they could have avoided uh, with, you know, some different approaches, I think, to the advertising business. And to that end, self-inflicted wounds as they are, does ultimately it bother the management, the leadership of the erosion of value? It might well bother some of the partners who went in on the deal to take private, but ultimately is there much real pressure being put on turning this company around and building back its value? Well, they're in a unique position, right? And the not only are they not a publicly traded company, but uh, a lot of their investors are sort of investing in Elon Musk. And, and X may be one of part of that investment, but they also want to be involved with Elon when it comes to SpaceX or Neuralink or Boring Company or whatever types of things he does, right? And so I think there's a lot more patience from the people who invest alongside Elon Musk because they see the bigger picture, right? And they say, okay, maybe we are losing some money on our X investment right now, but the relationship that we built with Elon, the support that we're giving him on that side will pay off in some of the other businesses that he runs, right? At least that's how it's working right now. Now, I don't think there's going to necessarily be a willingness to just continue to, to run this into the ground over time, but I think he has a little bit more runway than most companies would in this situation because of uh, you know all the other businesses that he has. Uh, Bloomberg's Kurt Wagner starting the year with the story of X, the company and platform formerly known as Twitter. Just as we started 2023, some things don't change. Happy New Year no. to you. Now, coming up here on Bloomberg Thanks, Technology, guys. another big, big story. Biden blocks chip-making equipment to China. Details behind the administration's attempts to curtail China's tech advances. That's coming up next. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. 
And Grammarly's personalised on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Okay, it's time for Talking Tech. First up in the news, Dish Network and EchoStar finalizing their merger. The two companies closed the deal on December 31st. The move comes as Dish chairman Charlie Ergen seeks to move away from the dwindling pay TV business and into wireless services to challenges the likes of Verizon, AT&T and T-Mobile. And Baidu's bid for live streaming company Joy lapses. The $3.6 billion offer did not get approval by December 31st, deadline from regulators. Baidu's first announced the present potential acquisition back in November of 2020 as the Chinese search giant was trying to get into advances in the digital video arena. Plus, in the UK, BT Group may face some fines. The telecom company missed UK deadlines to move data out of core network equipment, which was manufactured by China's Huawei. The UK banned the usage of Huawei from its telecom infrastructure back in 2020 over national security concerns. Carrie, Let's stick on those national security security concerns, the geopolitics that is China versus well, developed nations at the moment, because chip equipment manufacturer ASML, based over there in the Netherlands, it's cancelled shipments for some of its machines that were headed to China at the request of the Biden administration. This is according to people familiar with the matter. For more, we welcome in Mackenzie Hawkins, joining us now from Washington. And the interesting thing is they front run, basically, the date that the ban was coming in. They had to hold back even when, well, in theory, they were still allowed to be selling them, right? Exactly. So the Dutch government had actually imposed restrictions on these machines that were set to go into effect on January 1st. But the Biden administration pressured the Dutch government to cancel licenses for ASML through the end of last year uh, because they were worried that China could use those chip making machines to continue making semiconductor advances. This is an instance where it's really important to be clear what we're talking about. Chip making equipment, or more specifically, the cutting edge of ultraviolet lithography machines. And this is what ASML define that as. But in, in layman's terms, it is the ability to cram as many transistors onto a chip as possible, etch on in the, the smallest form factor. And the relevance, Mackenzie, as you know, is that reporting last year about Huawei and what they were able to do at the cutting edge using ASML machines, but some different machines. 
Exactly. So the most advanced chip making machines are so-called EUV machines. ASML is the only company that makes these machines. And the Dutch government has banned ASML from sending those machines to China for a long time. But Huawei, uh, China's tech giant, was able to produce a chip with its chip making partner SMIC using DUV machines, which are still highly advanced, but a slightly less advanced model that ASML was still allowed to ship to China. And so what the U.S. had been working with the Dutch government on was a set of restrictions on the shipment of those immersion DUV machines to Beijing. And the Dutch government implemented such a restriction, but gave a lag time to ASML to continue making shipments through January 1st. The U.S. stepped in and said, you need to actually cancel those shipments. And those are the conversations that happened over the last couple. There is some interesting politics behind this as well. So according to Bloomberg's reporting, U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan phones the Dutch and says, can you get ASML to do it? And the Dutch say, just phone them yourselves. Make the request direct. Exactly. So first, you had Jake Sullivan reaching out to the Dutch government. They say, contact ASML. The U.S. has this conversation with ASML. And then you see the Dutch revoke some of these licenses. So you're working with a little bit of a workaround here where the Dutch government wants to be able to point to the U.S. and say, this restriction is coming from Washington. And of course, you saw the U.S. tighten its restrictions on overall chip making equipment and advanced computing exports to China earlier this year, additionally affecting some Dutch machines, uh, some of the immersion DUV lithography equipment from ASML. So you have a bit of a tension between Washington and Amsterdam as the U.S. plows ahead with its chip war against Beijing and the Dutch, the Japanese, other governments around the world are sort of dragged into the battle as well. Uh, Bloomberg's Mackenzie Hawkins, just terrific reporting. Worth noting, chip stocks are under pressure today, Carrie. Yeah, particularly in China, those that would depend on such sort of EUV lithography. We thank you so much, Mackenzie, as always. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. And I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. Let's get you a quick check on these markets. First day of trade of 2024 and, well, there's a little bit of profit-taking risk coming off the table. Call it what you will. We're reassessing how much rates are going to rise or fall and how quickly they might be cut here in the United States in particular. We're looking at, therefore, a two-year yield that backs up at some seven basis points. It's a global bond sell-off. And indeed, it's an everything sell-off kind of a day. Equities down and bonds. We're seeing the Nasdaq 100 currently off by 1.4%. Worst day for generally tech stocks is December the 20th. Now, we are seeing Bitcoin, though, still getting a little bit of love. We anticipate, of course, a spot Bitcoin ETF being signed off as soon as June, January 8th, January 10th. We're looking at it up some 3.7%, eclipsing that $45,000 handle. Moving on and look at some of the individual players that we're looking at, because, well, when you are seeing a juggernaut such as Apple on the downside after a keynote out of Barclays, well, no wonder the overall benchmarks fall. We're off by more than 3% for a company that's worth, well, at one point, $3 trillion. So no wonder it has a key points waiting. MicroStrategy, of course, a lot of the crypto names on the higher side as Bitcoin goes high. We know MicroStrategy, of course, key element of the balance sheet is indeed Bitcoin. We're up 11%. Lastly, though, just looking at Tesla, and Ed, this has been the news of the, of the morning. Ultimately, Tesla managing to live up to the 1.8 million for the full year in terms of EVs sold, but it's being eclipsed by a big Chinese player now. And we've got to dissect as to how much that really matters. 
Yeah, it's interesting that the stock's flat. I mean, it's kind of been all over the place since the market opened, markedly higher, then lower, and then higher, and then lower again. Let's keep the conversation going and bring in Dan Levy, an analyst for Barclays, who has an equal weight rating on Tesla, a $260 price target. W- what is the storyline for you, Dan? You know, you, you meet the, the stated 1.8 million target, but I remember a year ago, the first earnings call of the year in January 2023, Musk touting, well, we could do 2 million maybe. So what, what does the score card show all told. Hey, uh, Ed and Carolyn, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I I think the story of 2023 was that uh, we were pulling back from a period of EV euphoria. And if we just contrast uh, what's going on now versus where we were two years ago, where the market was fully supply constrained and demand was not at all a concern, That's not the case now. Now we have questions about demand, even so much to the point that Tesla acknowledged on the last earnings call that there were some macro concerns and it would not be producing uh, as much as it could in its Austin and Berlin facilities simply because of some of these macro questions. And so the story going forward is... Uh, you know, how do we deal with this period of some demand uncertainty within the EV market? The storyline that we're leading on at Bloomberg is that Tesla's lost its crown to BYD. BYD, the sort of biggest standalone seller of battery electric vehicles. And we knew that was coming. Does it matter if Tesla is, is eclipsed by BYD, which is kind of predominantly focused on the domestic Chinese market? It it doesn't necessarily matter per se in the sense that there is room for for multiple players. And if we just break apart the markets, yes, BYD eclipsed Tesla this year. Um, Within battery electric vehicles, Tesla still beat BYD. Tesla was at uh, 1.8 million. I believe BYD on battery electrics was 1.6 million, something along those lines, with the remainder being uh, plug-in hybrid vehicles. If you look at it on a regional basis, that's where the dynamics really vary, because in the U.S., Tesla is still the, the, the dominant uh, EV name. Uh, you know, in Europe, Tesla is still a top three or so player in the BEV market. China, Tesla is still, you know, top two or three. It's BYD that's really taken the, 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 the crown. And it's China where we saw a lot of BYD sales accelerate. The other story that we saw emerging in 2023 was the rise of Chinese exports uh, to Europe and to other markets. So, uh, yes, there's more competition from Tesla from BYD, but there is still room for Tesla to, to grow. It's just a question of in the market where Tesla's serving, where is the demand for that? Yeah, and spin us then into 2024 when we're thinking of a BYD getting into Hungary and producing there, when we're thinking of two very different price points ultimately remain on top for Tesla in terms of profits and revenue because they make more expensive cars. Will Tesla ever want to go lower to be able to serve and get in on that highly competitive state that there is in China or should it be staying in its lane? Well, that's ultimately the goal for Tesla, right? That was something that they outlined at their 
Investor Day uh, last March, the path to mega scale, right? Um, you know, 2024 from a, a volume perspective for Tesla, we're, we're at 2 million units. That's below consensus of 2.2 million. So it is some growth. It's low double digit growth versus 2023, but it is below, you know, the long term growth curve Tesla has laid out. Um, and that's really because there's not much in the way of new incremental product for Tesla in 2024. Yes, there's Cybertruck. But we think that's niche. It's really Model 3 and Y, which are somewhat dated uh, models. And so really the story for Tesla on volume growth going forward is going to be Model 2. Whenever that is released, we have that as, you know, sometime in 2025, where they really go down to that lower price point. But there's a ways to go to get to that lower price point. They have to drive out a lot of costs to get there. Let's just go back to the Cybertruck, because that was something that I'm sure frustrated you and many an analyst investor is they didn't strip out, give us the intricacies of how many they actually sold. Was it 500 on the low end? Was it 5,000 on the high end? Was Where do you think the Cybertruck is landing? And does it really matter if it's just getting people in to have a look at the other cars? It, it was probably, uh, you know, a small set of volumes. We modeled in something like 200 units, uh, you know, possible. It was it was below that number. Um, look, I think Tesla has, has been clear that there are a number of production challenges along the way that need to be met with Cybertruck. And so that's why to us, yes, Cybertruck is a, dip, a different model for them. And it does help give some model diversification, which they've needed. That being said, uh, uh, we would set our expectations uh, accordingly on Cybertruck. We're assuming that you know you're not going to get more than twenty thousand units in 2024 because it is such a slow ramp. There are likely some questions as well on demand. Um, we think that it will draw on some consumers who want more of a lifestyle type vehicle, but we don't see Cybertruck really penetrating that core large pickup market, which is used for for work purposes and commercial purposes. Uh, Dan, I, I want to go back to the demand question and, and zoom out. You can apply it to, to the legacy auto names, Ford and GM. You can bring in Rivian you want. But there is certainly a question now about the, the wave of first or early adopters being gone and how you just go after the everyday household. Tesla has used price cuts as its lever. The federal tax credit in this country is clearly a big factor. How do you model demand for this year? Volume for the EV market will increase. Even for the legacy players where there are questions on, on demand and where clearly they are slowing the pace of volume, there is still going to be growth. Um, you know, from a, a from a subsidy standpoint in the U.S., one key step forward is that the seventy five hundred dollar credit will now be made on a point of sale basis, meaning you get it immediately when you purchase the vehicle, as opposed to when you're filing your taxes. So that can help. That being said, there are some vehicles losing eligibility, um, and and as you note, that there is clearly a question about you know, going from the early adopters to the early majority, where now you have to deal with the questions of range anxiety and charging availability. And so these are all things that need to be addressed. So I, I think that there is clearly still path forward for EV volumes to be increasing in, in 2024. Uh, it's just that the pace of growth is, is slowing. The other piece of this, and you alluded to this on the point of the price cuts, 
Tesla can cut its price because its cost structure allows it to do so. For the legacy automakers, they've struggled with EVs on the cost front, and there's only so much that they can cut on on price because the costs are what they are. So they have some work to do on the cost side so that they can sell more volumes at a, a more appropriate price point. Dan Levy, it's been so good to get you on the back of these production numbers today. Of course, Dan Levy of Barclays, we thank you so much. And sales data at that. Meanwhile, the coming up, we're going to be talking about Apple facing a ban on imports of its watches. You know, it's on ice for the short term, but what about the longer term? The conversation is up next with James Gagan, technology litigator over at Allen & Overy. Ed, what have you got? Yeah, a quick check at Moderna that's really spiking. Shares up around 16% as it stands, trading at their highest level since uh, late August of 2023. The news being uh, that the stock has been given an upgrade to outperform from Performance Oppenheimer. The, the firm saying they expect to see real return to top-line sales growth for Moderna in 2025. And they're talking about increased visibility on the sale of COVID-19 vaccine. That's a big move, up 16% on Moderna. And this is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE.
let's just check in on shares of Apple because they took a hit and so therefore have the big benchmarks. It's all after Barclays cut the tech giant to underweight for the first time since 2019, following expectations of what they see as soft demand for its latest iPhone, saying they expect, quote, a reversion after a year when most quarters were missed and the stock outperformed nevertheless. Joining us now, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman. And that's the point, isn't it? We just think back to, you know, the February earnings that they posted 2023 and they missed the street's expectations, but still shares rallied almost 50% on the 2023. So why does Barclays now think it can't manage to pull that out of the bag? Yeah, Barclays has seen some holes in the Apple story. I mean, certainly we've had four quarters plus in a row of holiday declines. Uh, the earnings report that's coming at the end of January, early February, will indicate that Q1 was either in line, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less than the prior quarter. You have these patent situations which are likely to crop up uh, in higher frequency now, given the success that Mossimo has had over the past few months. Uh, you're not seeing anything in the 2024 product pipeline uh, that is in the short term going to juice sales to any considerable degree. So they're sensing you know, some fragility there in the Apple story, and that's what sent the shares down uh, pretty considerably You know, this Tuesday morning uh, after New Year's Day. There's certainly going to be new iPhones. I'm not expecting anything significant. The bigger picture there will be some camera improvements on the smaller Pro model, uh, but some minor size increases to the displays on both of the high-end iPhones. Uh, you're going to get the biggest iPad revamp in five, six years. You're also getting the, the Vision Pro. That's going to be coming uh, within the next 30 days, a month or so. Uh, but certainly, I'm not expecting the Vision Pro to drive a lot of revenue, uh, certainly this year or even in 2025. Uh, the iPad should do pretty well for that segment, but that has been uh, underperforming the last couple of years or so. Uh, and the iPhone, I would expect to be stagnant, not necessarily uh, in hyper growth as, as it has been you know, in prior years. But certainly, you know, it is a risk to bet against Apple because they always do seem to find a way uh, to come out with numbers that could surprise the street. Yeah, the share performance of 2023 would speak to that argument. Bloomberg's Mark Gurman, thank you very much for the latest on the stock. The other story is that Apple's facing a ban on imports of its watches. The company is now seeking alternate paths to overcome a patent infringement loss that forced its most popular Apple Watch models off shelves over the holidays. Here to keep the conversation going is James Gagan, technology litigator at Allen & Overy, whose practice focuses on high-tech intellectual property, international trade, competition. There are some avenues they can go down on a fix. There are some deadlines coming up. But in the first instance, it was a wild holiday period where Apple seemed to rely on procedural wrangling to push back as best they could against that original ITC decision, which was two months ago. Yeah, that's right, Ed, and, and thanks very much for having me. Uh, you know, as someone who practices in the International Trade Commission quite a bit, this has been an interesting case. To follow, I think what it shows is that when companies like Apple are facing a potential import ban in the International Trade Commission, they can actually consider during the lawsuit making changes to their product designs and then getting authorization to sell those uh, redesigned products, even if the commission would find infringement and order a ban on the current models. And this is a common plan B that we see often in these cases. At least based on my review of the commission's public decisions, that doesn't appear to have happened here. Apple didn't have an authorized backup design it could switch to. And so when the commission decided to order that ban, 
on the Series 9 and Ultra 2 watches at the end of October, uh, you've seen Apple scrambling to implement these emergency strategies over the last several weeks. And so I think it shows that when companies don't litigate this plan B and they don't have a fallback position in these cases, then they're exposing the business to lost sales. And I think it limits their options going forward. And not only just to lost sales, but also probably a, a mental impact on a consumer that suddenly questions the, the winning formula and technology of an Apple. To that end, you know, if Apple does want certainty in the here and the now, what do they need to pursue? How do we see this being ironed out? Is it just about settlement or an agreement with Massimo? Well, it could be settlement. That, that would bring certainty, Caroline. But if companies like Apple that are in this position want certainty, then they need to implement hardware or software changes to the products and then prove that those changes do not infringe the patents and then obtain authorization to import and sell these new product versions. And so, according to Apple, it has already started this process. It's already presented redesigns to U.S. Customs, and it said that it expects a decision, I think, by the end of next week. It's confidential. We don't know what that redesign will look like. But when companies go this route and they need a quick approval, to get products back on the market. Generally, they'd want to present customs with a very simple hardware or software change that they've already implemented and that there's no dispute doesn't infringe the patents. And often this means removing the infringing feature completely from the product. So it is possible that Apple could get approval uh, to sell these watches again, but they may not have the same features that they do right now, including blood oxygen monitoring. That is the, the, the fascinating part for me, that we reported on December 28th that Apple sees software as being the long-term fix, but it relates to a specific functionality on a hot piece of hardware, right, a, a wearable. Who are the people on the other side of the table at Customs who are reviewing the compromise and then deciding if it works or not? Because it is a software fix to hardware functionality. That's right. So Apple is asking for approval from a specific branch of customs that their, their entire job is to administer, administer these exclusion orders uh, from the commission. So they're very experienced in, in assessing these types of redesigns. Uh, but it is true that if Apple is proposing some sort of complicated software fix, we don't know. But if they are, then it would be challenging to get, uh, get, get a fix like that through customs in the time they have allotted. And so uh, you know, for, for example, Apple may want to present the cleanest, most obvious fix that it can to get these products back on the market. We know that the Apple Watch Series SE can be sold because it's not equipped to measure blood oxygen levels. And so Apple may be presenting a solution uh, such as that. James Gagan, we thank you for pushing us forward on this technology litigator, someone who knows the ITC well. We really appreciate it. Over at Alan and Overy. There are now other products out there that uh, we can use to gain exposure to Bitcoin in this moment. And it's just a moment of uncertainty between now, we think, and um, January, January 8th to 10th, somewhere in that range, perhaps. Uh, but we, out of an abundance of caution, didn't want to take any risk. That abundance of caution that Kathy Wood of ARK Invest talks about is why they exited Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, but actually plowed their money from ARK Next Generation ETF instead into ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF. All of this, of course, on the question of whether or not Grayscale Bitcoin Trust will indeed 
be converted into an ETF. And all of this, of course, the anticipation of an approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF investment opportunity has been driving the price of Bitcoin up more broadly, past 45,000. Yuchi Yang is here to break it all down. So there's the intricacies of who and how and when, but ultimately any spot Bitcoin ETF is going to be good for holders of the Bitcoin of Bitcoin in and of itself. Yeah, so we're looking at a big week coming ahead for the Bitcoin industry. Um, there's wide expectation that the SEC will make a decision finally on whether they will approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. Um, so um, we saw Bitcoin really rallied um, uh, in the past year um, based on the anticipation of this news, which analysts think will drive institutional funding into um, Bitcoin. Uh, but still, there's uncertainty and uh, approval is not 100% guaranteed. And many are bracing perhaps for a buy the rumor, sell the news kind of fact, and maybe we even see a bit of a dip as and when it is, if indeed it does get approved. But do you know any of the details as to actually what happens? So say January 8th to 10th, the SEC says yes. Will immediately the ETF be there for the trading? Does it take days or weeks or months to be executed on? We don't know yet. Um, if the SEC does approve a Bitcoin ETF fund, um, it seems that all the issuers and operators that are associated with uh, a Bitcoin ETF are, have been preparing to get ready to launch and uh, to trade the, the shares. Um, Coinbase, for example, which is the custodian provider for a lot of these Bitcoin ETF issuers, uh, told us last week that they're operational ready. Once they get the green light, they are able to handle the volume and the trades. Um, so we'll see. It, it seems like everybody is preparing as if it, they will be able to get approval. Uh, but then we'll get to see uh, how much trading or how much buying eventually it will contribute to, to Bitcoin. And just as a note, my husband is a senior manager over there at Coinbase. But meanwhile, Yu Yang, we thank you so much for all the details. We brace ourselves. It's going to be busy for the next couple of days for her and indeed anyone who's out there in the world of crypto. And interestingly, Ed, of course, well, that does it for our first edition of Bloomberg Technology 2024. Yeah, one day into the new year. I'm not going to say what the story of the year is because after 2023, <laughs> you just wouldn't take that risk. Recap on the podcast. Thank you to listening on Apple, Spotify and on the Bloomberg platforms. From New York and SF, this is Bloomberg Technology. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than a destination. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all. All of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a Stiefel Financial Advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.